Welcome to Soundings Podcast. I'm Dudley Evanson, and for more than four decades, my husband Dean Evanson and I have created music and media that supports people and the planet. In our Soundings Podcast, we'll be sharing interviews with wisdom keepers we have met in the course of our life journey. To learn more about our activities and releases, please visit our website and blog at soundings.com. In this podcast, we hear the interview with Wilbert Alex from our Sonic Healing Meet the Masters video course. This is from Session 8 of the 10-part series on meditation, music, and healing. Wilbert Alex shares his background of growing up in the rich ethnic culture of New Orleans to arrive at contemporary shamanic techniques using trance dance and body-centered psychology. He has earned international recognition as a contemporary healer and teacher of progressive psychology and neo-shamanism with a focus on trance dance. A prominent figure in the emerging science of body-centered psychology, his presentations offer unique insights into the relationships between the traditional shamanic healing, progressive psychology, and modern science. Throughout his career of over four decades, He has created numerous social, medical, mental health, and alternative therapy approaches to cultivating physical and emotional well-being. He continues to explore the professional application of trans dance and other contemporary shamanic techniques as legitimate healing and therapeutic tools. Enjoy. Uh, uh, My name is Wilbert Alex, and I'm the uh, director and owner of Trans Dance International. Uh, Transdance International uh, designs and uh, offers uh, trainings and workshops and courses around the world, uh, all based on uh, more of a neo-shamanic model than a shamanic model. It's kind of uh, what shamanism would look like if it was uh, uninterrupted and had been allowed to grow, simultaneous to our developments with science. And uh, so it's kind of what would uh, shamanic ritual look like if it was updated to the 21st century. Because I don't think I've ever not been involved with music. I grew up in a music culture. I'm a eighth generation child of the city of New Orleans. And in New Orleans, everything breathes music. And so when I was a child, uh, it was so common to uh, spend time in my youth just creating rhythms and sounds and chants and I mean when uh, when slavery was the law of the land when slaves would uh, escape the uh, Native American culture would take them in and so I was born of these two cultures and so uh, till this day we celebrate the relationship in sound and music between these two cultures by uh, African Americans masking as Indians uh, and reproducing these chants and music uh, as a way of um, healing and uh, celebrating the culture. And so it's, uh, it's never not been there for me. I, I can't realize a time when I wasn't doing it and it started. It was always there. Uh, you're asking why is sound and healing uh, so powerful or, or why did they go together? Um, and, and it's because we're made out of sound. Uh, if you take a, if you take an atom, and we're all made of them, if you take an atom and you hurl it up against another atom, or a wall, and you smash it, what it produces is a brilliant flash of light, and sound. 
And so who we are at our core is made up of light and sound. And so what we're trying to do in this kind of healing process is reduce the equation down to light and sound. We're getting really close. In fact, lots of people are really kind of on it. And so I think eventually it's all going to become pure light and sound. It's who we are at our core. Uh, and there's nothing that I do that doesn't include music. Uh, music is really kind of a, a soundtrack for, for my life and everything that I do. And so in terms of the trans dance work, <coughs> the magnification of uh, sound, uh, for me, is not so much trying to improve the, the, the particular elements of the sound, but reducing the resistance that we have to listening to what's there. And the biggest way I've found to do that is to remove our capacity to see. Because in a, in a sighted person, 90% of the way that we perceive reality is through our eyes. And so you're already fighting 90% uh, in favor of another side of the story, and 10% is all about maybe what you can hear. If you can remove your capacity to compete with it, then your capacity to hear these sounds is just magnified 90% or 900%. And so I think the best thing to do if you're really interested in sound healing is to not compete with the sound. And the best way to not compete with the sound is to take away your capacity to see. And so whenever I do this kind of work, this is what people report all the time, that so many, 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 many things happened. You see, if, if, if our other senses were capable of uh, engaging reality to the degree that our eyes did, probably what that would look like it was we would become clairvoyant because we would be able to hear as well as we could see. We would be able to smell as well as we could see. We could feel as well as we could see. And so if everything was operating as powerfully as our visual sense, uh, our experience of reality would become holographic and a holographic reality basically is a high, high level of intuition. And so what it would look like would be clairvoyance or a very high level of, um, of uh, communication absent of language. Uh, so what is the trans dance experience? Um, you know, if you, if you go back in time to when human beings were really kind of first here and sorting out reality, I think the first way that we did that was that we observed nature and um, in some way made attempts to internalize it by duplicating it. And so you can imagine a, a human being seeing an animal and beginning to mimic the, how the animal walked, the sounds the animal made. So you extend that experience and you realize that human beings were doing what we call dance as a way of duplicating nature. Now, fast forward 40,000 years, and you realize that this dance idea kind of lost its spiritual significance and it became all of the things that uh, became kind of uh, modern. You know, we dance for entertainment, we dance for pleasure, we dance for exercise. What we dance less for now is wisdom. And so what I'm trying to do here is to reintroduce the wisdom concept. 
to bring um, uh, the uh, the revelation of a deeper story about life back into dance. Now the idea here is that your um, consciousness is not locked in your brain. Uh, that probably your consciousness is activated by your entire body. And so therefore if you activate your body, you activate your consciousness in a bigger way. Uh, as I mentioned before, the idea of um, distraction through light is a big reason that the messages that we receive cannot be internalized. And so I'm a big uh, advocate of uh, shadow journeys. And a practical way to induce a shadow journey uh, is simply to blindfold someone. Um, from an anatomical point of view, your eyes are the only sensory organs that grow directly out of your brain. And so if you want to shut down uh, an aspect of your brain, what you do is you shut down your eye's capacity to see. And what it does is it just illuminates a lot of what's inside by not being distracted by what's outside. And so there's a bit of a method to this madness. And the method has to do with the fact that if you can um, stall uh, your visual capacity, your other senses wake up. So your auditory sense wakes up, your kinesthetic sense wakes up, your, your olfactory senses wake up. The one that dominates over those other senses are your, is your visual sense. I mean, when you meet someone the first time, usually you look at them, you, you don't lick them, as an example. So now, there's a time when you actually used to do that. I mean, if you look at children, it's exactly what they do. They acquire something, they put it in their mouth. And you go, why do they do that? Why do children internalize reality through their mouth? Because their mouth is giving them as accurate a piece of information at that moment as their eyes or their ears. At some point, we grow out of it. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that reality as we know it seems to be produced in a more accurate way based on what we see than necessarily the other senses. And so we rely more on our visual sense than anything else. Unless, of course, you don't have it. We have many examples of men and women who are absent of their visual sense. And so another one emerges. And so my thing is that if we're going to become more kind of spiritual or wise, uh, we've got to activate our other senses as much as our visual sense. And part of that, for periodic journeys, in other words, temporarily, is to suspend our need for our visual sense. And when you do that and you come out of these journeys, you notice that uh, your other senses are much more activated and that what that does when it's added to your visual sense is it just makes your perceptions of reality more holographic, meaning that you're seeing it from more sides than one side. I mean, that I think the important part of of the trans dance uh, experience happens if you do it within a ritual context. I mean, the, the purpose of ritual is to make us aware of something greater than ourselves. And so the value of having a lot of people in the room is that it uh, creates a kind of a, uh, a vortex of energy, if you want to use that term, uh, that sends a current around the room that everybody can feel. 
but you can you can have a transdense experience completely alone. I mean, the fact is that because you're blindfolded, even if you're in a room with a thousand people, perceptually you are alone. You're absolutely alone. And a big part of that experience is the fact that you are alone. I mean, this is what I'm doing here. There's lots of dance going on in the world that is the, about the light. It's easy to do light work. It's safe, actually, uh, to do light work. It's shadow work. That's a challenge. And so when you remove a person from light, what you're essentially doing is you're removing them from their perceptions of their connections to each other. If you really want to get technical, what you're doing is you're moving them from their projection of their perceptions of each other. And so what you find out is that, in fact, you are alone. And when you can discover the depths of yourself alone, it's possible that all of these connections that you have with people are not confusing. And so we get lost in light. Huh? Blinded by the light means another whole thing to me. We have truly been um, confused by our own projections. And you see, this was truly shamanic. I mean, the, a vision quest journey is a solitary journey. Huh? You are planted on a piece of land somewhere and left isolated for an extended period of time so that you can crack through that illusion, so that you can realize that even in the midst of so many other people, there is you. And if you are the primary thing in the equation before you lay it off on anybody else, then you become a responsible human being. When, when you lose that, it's easy to blame. It's easy to be a victim. And so even though trans dance has at its core this kind of a shamanic story, it has real contemporary applications in my mind. Uh, it, uh, it helps us to become responsible human beings. Uh, a lot of people kind of uh, grow nostalgic about the primitive. I'm not one of these people. I think that the primitive is important, but only as it applies still today. Shamanic people were not thinking about their past. They were thinking about their future. We need not get confused in shamanism about dwelling on the past. It's not about the past. It's techniques about envisioning our future. Uh, so the, the cross-cultural influence in Transdance um, is that first it was born from this cross-cultural perspective that it was, um, it was a technique that we, know, uh, we noticed was used in all animistic shamanic cultures around the world. Um, now, when you look at the particulars of it, um, there's aspects of this contemporary form of trans dance that can draw some lines to some particular cultures. As an example, the use of the bandana uh, draws itself directly from the understanding of the term shaman or shamanic, which is a Siberian term that means the ability to see in the dark. And so shamanic journeys, when you look at the word in its purest form, are shadow journeys. Uh, the bandana itself, uh, the first time I ever used the bandana in a spiritual journey was in the moving meditations of Osho. Osho was, um, was very clear about the fact that Western people 
its mines were just too full of baloney, and so therefore uh, it needed to shut down. And so the bandana really goes back to the, uh, the moving meditations of Osho. The music itself, and there's lots of music that we've done related to trance dance, um, some of it, like when we did medicine trance, that goes back to the Native American long dance. That is what long dances with basic rhythms that don't break. Um, breathing techniques uh, actually are a bit more Eastern. You know, we really all kind of got the breathing story from, you know, stuff that came from the East. Uh, the particular thing that I'm interested in in relationship to breathing is that breath, as it is with all other elements of nature, are really physical forms that spirit takes to enter our body. And so I think there's a lot of people that tend to think that spirit is a nebulous term, that it's a no thing. The fact is that it is a many things. And the most powerful of those things are the things that we ingest in our body on a regular basis. And so one aspect of trance dance is the breathing. Uh, the intention part of trance dance, the idea that you dance for a purpose, um, really comes from many cultures, but I find that our contemporary understanding of that is a really important one to understand. And that is that we now know uh, that one of the unique aspects of human beings is that we're, we're the only animals on the planet that have a volitional consciousness. We're the only animals on the planet that can choose at the level that we choose. And so our capacity to manifest uh, matter from energy is our power. Our, translated, that means that what makes us really unique is that we're creative. Creativity to humans is, is like flying is to birds. A bird is a bird because it flies. A human is human because it creates. I mean, if a bird landed on a pole outside and never flew off that pole, I'd have serious questions about whether or not this was really a bird. It's not doing its thing. When humans don't solve problems, when we don't accept challenges and uh, create something based on a challenge, we are not being what I think we were meant to be. And so shamanism understood that. It understood that this is our challenge in life, is to um, understand that thoughts are things and things are thoughts, that thoughts are the mental parts of things and things are the physical parts of thoughts, and that it is up to us to make the translation. And, uh, and so for me, this is a very high level of responsibility uh, that shamanism understood. And so what I'm doing is I'm trying to put all of these things together in a ritual form that actually gives a human being something practically to do that's enriching rather than necessarily playing around with ritual because it's kind of chic to play around with ritual. It has a purpose, a driving purpose. It's an updated form of becoming wiser about why we're here in the first place. And I think we try to answer those three questions. And you know, who am I, what am I, and why am I? And who am I, what am I are generally answered in demographic terms. You know, I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer. Why am I? 
I think, is the reason for living. And it's generally answered by making some kind of meaningful contribution. And so the active ritual process that helps us to do that is what I'm interested in. And trans dance is one of them. It's just one that, um, it makes sense because it's alive. It's not dead. It, uh, it, it has, um, it takes into account your whole body. It doesn't just take into account an aspect of your, of your body. And uh, it's a phenomenon that young people are getting into, if you notice. Huh? Dance cultures are popping up all over the world again. Uh, and they're popping up not because some wise person said they should, but because young people are just getting it, that it's stupid to sit still about anything. And so what they're doing is they're moving, and they're going to continue to move. And so I think the future of healing is not going to be stillness. I think what's going to happen is that first there's going to be all this energy, and then there's going to be stillness. And so this is, uh, this is what I'm interested in. This is where I'm going. Yeah, you know, the idea between um, kind of our relationship between the head and the heart. Now, when you study evolution, you, you see that we kind of came from some simple creature to what is now an upright, you know, intelligent-speaking human being, many phases in between. And so if you kind of, you, you see these pictures, you know, of the thing, the, the kind of worm that became the little animal that became a monkey that became the human, and the human stood upright. And so it's, it's kind of like a graphic you see a lot. And so something happened when we reached the point where we stood upright. Uh, our hands became free so we could um, make tools and we, uh, our brain split, we have dual, dual hemispheric brain. But the thing that people don't talk about a lot uh, is that for the first time our heads got higher than our hearts. Which means, of course, that we would think that higher is better. And, uh, and so you see that in religion and you see that all in, in, in even in New Age spirituality, the idea that um, God is up, heaven is up, spirit is up. The shamanic point of view was just the opposite, actually. That your power came from your shadow, the power came from the earth. I think our dilemma about the earth, uh, the reason that we're being a bit insensitive about the whole thing, is simply because we are into this other story, this kind of higher story. Now, let's take um, Muslim culture as an example. Muslims all over the world, a few times a day, face Mecca. They drop to their knees and they drop their head down lower than their heart because they believe that when the heart is superior, that their communication with God is true. In other words, God can speak to you and your ego cannot fight it. When your head is higher than your heart, you can have a conversation with God, but you argue about the conversation. And so the idea here is to create a context in which you submit. And in shamanic ritual, it was about overwhelming the senses to the degree that you allow yourself to receive wisdom, but not argue about it. And, um, and so therefore, I've kind of uh, noticed in a humorous way that when we spend time with a lover, as an example, we spend a, very, uh, a lot of that time in a horizontal position where our head and our heart is on the same level. 
If our lover says something that upsets us and we click into an argument mode, the head immediately pops up to have the argument. The observation here is that if you remained in the horizontal position, you couldn't have the argument. And so there is something about evolution and what happened to us when our heads got higher, where we picked up an awful lot of other behaviors that we're now struggling with. And so I'm not advocating that we should all drop to our bellies and start you know, squirming around like snakes again. What I am saying is that periodically, we have to reverse what's currently our dilemma, and that is to give our heart uh, some superior time and to let our heads have some inferior time because it helps to keep things in perspective. So um, when, you, when you look at um, shamanism, especially when you look at dance ritual in relationship to shamanism, it's driven by sound and rhythm. Uh, the, the essential element um, is that there needs to be some kind of a sonic driving force um, that forces you outside of yourself. Uh, technically, from a scientific perspective, we talk about simultaneous rhythms that harmonize at some point at a level in which we reach a state called entrainment. And so the idea is that in shamanic drumming, which is not kind of radio play, I mean, if you listen to radio play, it's very entertaining kind of music. Shamanic music was not designed for entertainment. It was actually designed to kind of bore you into separating from yourself. And so if you listen to this kind of droning drumming sound, what happens is that the music starts to go. You're attached to the music. And so here you go. And so at some point what happens when you listen to a, the same rhythm over and over and over again, your mind does not need to listen to it because it just gets it that it's going to keep repeating. Your body is on to it. And so what happens at some point is your body keeps going with it and your consciousness starts to journey outside of you. And so therefore, um, an essential element uh, to induce a trance is to create a rhythm that repeats itself over and over again. Now, traditionally that has been kind of double drumming. In the 21st century, we have the uh, introduction of uh, electronica. Now, the amazing thing about electronica is that um, you can create a rhythm that can go on for you know, 10 years with not stopping. It's just the nature of technology. And so now all of a sudden we have at our fingertips the opportunity to, uh, to create a kind of harmonic sound that really helps people to go on these journeys. There's great argument, I think, in the community about whether or not uh, these organic sounds and these electronic sounds are, should even be together. And uh, of course, the argument from the shamanic point of view is that it's not natural, it's electronic. But usually the people who make these arguments simultaneously wear crystals while they're arguing the point about kind of the negative aspects of electronica without understanding that what electronic music is, is moving energy through a crystal. And so what you're listening to when you listen to electronic music 
is the equivalent to the light you see when you hang a crystal in the window and you see the kind of this prism effect happen where blue goes this way and red goes this way and green goes this way. And so you go, oh, this is amazing and beautiful. Your ears are hearing that light, but we're not used to hearing that kind of light. Our young people are hearing it, you see. For them, it's not going to be unusual. We're coming off of another level of evolution and moving into another one. And so like everyone that does that, we struggle with the new thing. Young people are not struggling with it. And so the future is going to look like this kind of music. The amazing thing that's happening with it is that they're beginning to create it, and I'm part of that story, in a way in which it has such an organic feel. Uh, and so it's kind of like, is it real or is it Memorex kind of thing going on? It's a very blurred line, but uh, what we're achieving is the capacity to create strong organic, strong electronic sounds that replicate probably down to the, to the finest uh, element organic sounds. And for me, this is really quite exciting. So that, yeah, there's been a lot of people who have uh, given testimony to uh, trans dance, and um, it always overwhelms me um, because this thing was really quite an experiment for me. But as a result of it, I'm noticing uh, it's an interesting phenomenon first. Trans dance was originally designed for young people. Uh, we wanted something to reach a younger market of people but had a very strong uh, spirituality at its core. What we discovered was that young people, although they were attracted to it, were not as attracted to it as older people. And that really threw me for a while. I didn't understand why. And then uh, it hit me that the reason that young people were not taking to it as much as older people was because transdance really does challenge you at the level of your ego. And young people were still growing an ego. You understand? It's hard to challenge something that you haven't quite grown yet. And so really the story has become kind of the 30, 35 and above market of people. And what they r report um, is that for the first time, they've um, achieved a depth of uh, of understanding, which I think has a great deal to do with the fact that they're, they're accessing information in their body, not just in their head, uh, that is creating a level of understanding about their own journey about life that they say that they haven't really found anywhere before. And I'm not a big competitor about this kind of thing. I, For a long time, I refrained from even repeating these kinds of testimonials. Um, but they're overwhelming, really. Uh, I talked about it uh, yesterday when I was doing the presentation on um, soul hunting and liquid sound, uh, when I said that um, I'm, I'm a big advocate of ordeals. I think this is what's missing. We have a lot of uh, fluff stuff, lots of things that kind of, you know, stroke you about your spirituality. It's like the spirit animal journey, you know? Um, 
if you really are interested in an authentic spirit animal journey, your ego has to crater at some point so that the animal can be revealed. If that doesn't happen, then your ego is engaged, so your ego picks the animal, you see. Well, if your ego picks the animal, it has to pick a pretty animal. It has to pick an animal that matches your sweater and this kind of insanity. But what's happening with people is that they're reaching these points in which authentically something separates and something new truly appears. And when this new thing appears, it's just such an overwhelming moment in life uh, that more and more people are saying that this is happening. And so what this tells me is that this contemporary approach that I have to shamanism has some real um, authenticity to it because people are reporting things that actually people reported when they were doing true authentic shamanic ritual. And that for me is, I don't have words for that one. Uh, and this is totally unsolicited by me. And so uh, I, I think that there's uh, something really potent going on here and, and the story is long and obviously in this interview there's not enough time for the the long, deeper story, but I could go a mystical route, I can go a science route, I can go a biology route, I can go a, uh, a metaphysical route, explain it all. Yeah, uh, yeah scientific research about this. Um, one of the places that I go when I look at this from a scientific perspective has to do with um, things that are emerging in um, kind of a new wave of kind of alternative science, more entheogenic kinds of science. Uh, we're beginning to, uh, to learn more and more about what is generally classified as a molecule that has connected to it some spiritual significance, a spirit molecule. You see it um, in a lot of uh, plants in nature that have within the plant a divinity. And um, what I think is happening in trans dance is that this uh, process is accessing uh, this molecule that exists in the body. Seems to be concentrated in the pineal gland here. In Eastern cultures, they called it your third eye. The eye that looks this way, these look this way. This one looks this way and the neocortex of your human brain. And, uh, and so what happens when you put on a blindfold or a bandana is that you uh, isolate your neocortex and uh, essentially activate these elements in your neocortex. And so uh, there's a lot of evidence uh, that's coming up more and more about the fact that uh, shamanic ritual um, and uh, this element were one and the same. The conclusion I've come to is that probably it's not possible to have a spiritual experience that doesn't have an organic root. I'm pretty convinced about it. Uh, this idea of not being attached to an organism and having a spiritual experience I think is an erroneous thing. Uh, we have them because we have a body and our body participates in it. Our body participates in every mood we have. And so why wouldn't it participate in this mood? Uh, so I think that rather than uh, continuing this kind of a lofty, esoteric 
journey of being out of the body that in fact it's smarter to jump right back in our bodies and to use our bodies to activate our consciousness. And this is what you're seeing happening in the world now. You're seeing young people who are absolutely jumping straight into their, their physical story. And this is what you're seeing with young people, uh, and that is that they're dropping right back in their bodies, uh, and they're using their body to activate their consciousness, uh, rather than uh, thinking that it's about being disconnected to the body. Uh, again, I think it has to do with our story on Earth in general. And that is that the more we disassociate with our own bodies, the, interest, the, the easier it is to disassociate with a bigger body in general. The more we appreciate our bodies, the more we appreciate where we live. And so I, I don't think there's any separation in the two. And young people are really being born and raised in a world now in which they realize that the earth is tentative and so they have to do something about it. And part of doing something about it, I think, is getting it an appreciation of that body, and you can't do that unless you appreciate your own. You cannot disassociate in this way. You disassociate in this way, and you have to disassociate with the bigger story. Uh, and so, I, again, all this kind of contemporary neo-shamanic ritual, uh, in my mind, is really all about going right back into our bodies. Uh, ritual is a structure that we create to make us aware of something greater than ourselves. It's the purpose of ritual. Now, you can go a zillion directions after that statement, um, but the reason that we came together was for that reason. Now, if you, wanna, if you wanna get a little kind of radical here, I'll give you a bit of a theory. Um, and it has to do with evolution. There's a great debate about evolution. Why did we all of a sudden become intelligent? So there's the intelligent design theory, kind of this, you know, divine spark, Adam and Eve story. There's a UFO theory, you know, that somewhere down the line, spaceships landed and docked it on our brains and we all got smart. Then there's the entheogenic story, and the entheogenic story is not spoken about so much. Terence McKenna was really big on the entheogenic story. Spent a lot of time when Terence, when he was alive, uh, between that and what I was trying to do with Transcends. And so here's the idea. At some point in our evolution, uh, we started uh, grazing, encountered plants, probably some, um, mushroom, uh, ate it, and you know, that day turned out to be a pretty interesting day. And then we returned, and we returned, and we returned, and so the, the first real rituals was the return to this teacher, this plant, that was energizing our consciousness. Then somewhere, you know, in the central parts of Africa, we began to roam, given that we had this kind of intelligence, and we try to roam into places in which there were other variations of this plant to continue the ritual. I even noticed it when I was in Macedonia. I was sitting at a cafe in Macedonia and I was talking to a friend and I kept saying Macedonia and he kept saying, no, don't say Macedonia, it's Macedonia. Mac means poppy.
Donia means land of. And so Macedonia means land of poppy, you see. And so I think what we did is we kind of roamed into areas in which there were these variations of this plant. But there were some places that we went where there was no plants. But there was the memory of the ritual. And so I think a lot of rituals in the world were attempts to replicate rituals in which there was a plant teacher involved in the ritual, but there was no plant teacher. They were all about what? Trying to create a context in which we become aware of something greater than ourselves. The first ones were rituals in which we became aware of something greater than ourselves. And then sometimes there were rituals in which the plant did not exist in that environment, but we were trying to create the environment in which we used to learn more about ourselves by creating the ritual. I think that's the evolution. I think that's actually what happened. And so that continues to go on. Now we create contemporary ritual as a gathering context to become aware of something greater than ourselves. The missing element is the divinity. And so you'll notice in rituals, there's always about calling in the divinity. In the beginning, it was easy to call in the divinity. You swallow the divinity, you see. And so now, this is radical. Transdance in my mind is a tool for calling in the divinity. By what? Isolating ourselves from objective reality, going right inside of your body, and tapping in to the reservoir that you have inside of you of this same plant. It lives in your neocortex of the human brain and in your pineal gland. And so this is uh, one of the reasons that I think the, the ritual itself really seems to create such an enormous experience in a person in such a relatively short period of time. What's the value of engaging your visual sense? I mean, we're sighted people. And so um, the way that we maneuver reality uh, is based on the flow of pictures that come. The question is, where do these pictures come from? Well, they come from many places, and probably the largest reservoir of these pictures and was what we would call, from a psychological point of view, the unconscious mind. Shamanism would call it your shadow or the lower world. Now, percentage-wise, we think that probably 85 to 90% of the influence that we have is coming from our shadow, and 10 to 15% of it is coming from what we would call objective reality that's not necessarily part of our shadow. Overwhelmingly, our shadow influences us more than the light. I think our struggle is a resistance about that. Um, but given that we're sighted people, how we manifest reality is through the projection of this light. Um, and so it's clearly essential for a creative human being to have a vehicle in which they can externalize these things. Um, so I can understand why we're so enamored by the light. Um, it's just so much easier to feel better about yourself as you are when you only pay attention to those things in which are revealed by the light. The 
problem I have with it um, uh, is that it doesn't take into account the fact that the majority of actually what we manifest doesn't come from there. And so it's a bit of a, you know, it, it, it just throws us all out of balance. Uh, and so, you know, it, not taking into account the fact that we're influenced by aspects of ourselves that are deeper than we're aware of it, is to accept the fact that we are going through life on one leg. Hey, you can stand up on one leg, you know, you can even move on one leg, but you'll never run on one leg. You'll never really achieve doing complex things on one leg. And so if you're if average is okay, one leg works. But if you're interested in exceptional, if you're interested in really kind of achieving what I think is a higher purpose for being here, your shadow story has to come into play. It can't not be there. And, uh, and that, that's always a heroic journey, you know? I mean, shadow journeys are always heroic journeys. It takes a tremendous amount of courage to go on shadow journeys. And shadow journeys are not something you do every day. You know, there's something you do periodically, but what it does is it just catapults you into another perception of, of life in the world. And so, you know, as far as I can tell, there's like 12 of these times which we're compelled to do this in life. You know, if you look at life as a circle, and you don't necessarily look at it as a linear story, then you realize that in that circle, there's 12 points in which we're compelled to transform. And every time we reach one of these passages in life, if we're not spiritually prepared for the passage, what we experience in our life at that moment is what we'll call a crisis. And so now you begin to understand why there is just so much crisis in the world, and why we're always dealing with another level of some kind of crisis and it is simply because we have not acknowledged that the shadow side of our existence is as relevant as the light side of our existence. And so we always got to butt our heads up against something that could be a huge transformational moment. And what it becomes is like years of struggle. And I think that when we realize that, when we truly realize that, when we compare what we have to live like ignorant and what we get to live like when we're wiser, I just, fund I just believe people are going to choose the wiser option. They haven't really been given the, the intelligent option yet. I mean, we're learning, but there's more to learn. Thank you for listening to our Soundings podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this program. To learn more about our music, guided meditations, and videos, please visit our website and blog at soundings.com. Peace through music blessings.